You are listening to HHS bonus content from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Network. This bonus content is released during the week for your listening pleasure while awaiting the release of Sunday's actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. All bonus content will be listed as HHS Presents or HHS Midweek while the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episodes will have only an episode number and the title listed, for example, 187, The Kentucky Vampires. Those episodes are a longer deep dive into a particular subject. If you are new to the show and the bonuses aren't your style, get the full-length episode to try. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Midweek Episode 25. 25. Moving right along. Tonight's show, we actually have uh, our guest will be Lebo Jakes from the Lexington Paranormal Research Society. Great. They had us out to Waveland to do a tour, and uh, not really a tour, an investigation. Yeah. Live investigation one night, so we appreciate that. And they've got a bunch of stuff going on from the TV show they're working on mm-hmm. to just some different investigations they're having, and he's got a lot of fun stories. So we're going to talk to him in just a little bit. Sounds great. Before that, though, we're going to tell you about a little place in Texas that I thought has a pretty cool history. It's called a Reeves Thicket Ranch. I would suspect that unless you're from the area, you've probably never heard of this place. Mm-hmm. Deep in South Texas, this little small town known as Reeves Thicket. Now, at one point, there was this huge ranch that covered this whole area. But over the years, it was subdivided into little plots. And now there's over 300 different families that live there on this plot of land. Originally, it was owned by a man by the name of John Reeves Sr. John bought this land in the 1840s, right? He had traveled from Pikes County, Georgia, and most assumed that he probably lost his wife during childbirth. They don't know, I guess because people just didn't ask. Yeah. But the reason they made that assumption is that he came here alone mm-hmm. and he left an infant son and his father back in Georgia. So the fact that they left both of them and there was no mother makes him think that maybe he was just, his intention was to come up here and to make a life and then bring them up. There. Oh, okay. I was like, why is he leaving his son? <laughs> well, apparently this took a while because evidently he gets them to come after he, he acquires all this land and becomes an attorney. Mm-hmm. And then he brings his father and his son, John Jr. And get this, this is why I know it took a while. His wife, Katie, came with him and their nine children. So keep in mind, when he left him, he was an infant when they came to bring him back. Oh, stop. I'm serious. And not only that, after they got there, they had a 10th child. So this had to have been. Well, how the hell long does it take to become years. a lawyer? Well, he had to acquire land and stuff, too. Oh, come on now. Either way, that's what happened. So a few years later, after John Jr. gets there, him and his family move to the banks of Colito Creek. Uh, John Sr. was elderly by this time, and his son and daughter-in-law cared for him until he passed away in 1863. He was 84 years old. That's that's just unbelievable. (laughs) I don't know what to say about that. He's buried in the Reeves Family Cemetery that sits on what is now known as Reeves Hill. In 1868, John Jr. died. His son, Toby, and Toby was his nickname. I can't remember. I think mm-hmm. he was John the Third, But yeah. anyway, Toby is what he went by. 
He moved the house from the banks of the creek about a half a mile up the hill. Like he literally picked the house up and moved it. Yes. <laughs> yes, and that's where the house is today. Now, this is a huge house. So you're probably wondering how they moved it. And and the house that we'll get into this one more, but the house that's there today is a little bit smaller than the house they moved. Oh, there was I some, mean, they needed to have a big house, all them kids. There was no kidding. So they slowly moved it by putting the house on huge logs mm-hmm. and rolling it up the hill with a team of mules pulling it. Oh, geez, that's insane. <laughs> anyway, that's how they got it to the new location. From my understanding, the house is, like I said, is a little bit smaller now because at one point there was a huge storm in the 40s mm-hmm. that destroyed part of it. Wow. You can, I just, that makes, I mean, you can move your house on logs <laughs> and it's fine. And then a daggone storm comes through and, and right. tears well, some of it down. It was probably not in as good a shape by the time they got it back up there. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how bad it was. So anyway, today's owner of the house is a guy by the name of Charlie Foppel. He owns the land, the cemetery, the house, a bunch of original buildings that are still out there on the land. And he is a direct descendant to the Reeves family. He takes pride in preserving it. And according to Charlie, who's an expert on the Reeves family history, Toby was known as the law west of Kalito Creek. What's that mean? Like you do what he says? Pretty much. So he was a member of the Reeves family with the most personality. Apparently, mm-hmm. he had a lot of, you know, colorful personality to him where everybody else was just kind of blah. Yeah. Toby endured a lot on this time that he had on this earth. He went through the Civil War. He went through droughts. He went through several outlaws that were in the area causing him grief, and we'll hear a little more about that. And he had a yellow fever outbreak that he lasted. Whoa. He so is we, tough. We said he was known as the law west of Kalido. He administered justice in his own way. For example, in the 1870s, he was out, you know, rounding up some cattle with his men. When he gets home, he finds out that some of his horses had been stolen. Now, Toby and his men headed on out over the uh, the creek and into Fleming's Prairie. Mm-hmm. They catch up with this horse thief. And to be fair, <laughs> Toby was going to give the man a trial before he hung him. Oh, well. <laughs> so instead, there was a shootout. Toby stayed on his horse, so he never got the horse, and the thief had taken cover. He shot at Toby and shot Toby's left ear off. <laughs> oh, man. Toby was pissed. Well, yeah. So, so much for his fair trial. Toby shot and killed the man on the spot and then buried him right there on the spot. And there is actually evidence still today of that grave. No kidding. Yes. Man, I bet that hurt. I bet it did. The 1860s and the 70s had several different outlaw gangs in the area. The Brookins gang was the most notorious. They raided a lot of the uh, ranches around town, but they knew to leave Toby's alone. Mm-hmm. Charlie says that there are several different graves that are scattered all around the property. Ooh, where Toby had... Killed people? Probably so. Most from the outlaws that learned their lesson the hard way. He thinks that Toby's ghost still looks after the place today. And most of those outlaws were hung on an old oak tree out there that's still on the property. Now, this oak tree has one branch that kind of hangs out and it's 
you know, just more obvious, you know, that this is the branch that was probably the hanging branch because it's just there and plain Jane. Charlie says the horses always get really rowdy and anxious when they have to go anywhere near this tree. Oh, man. In fact, there are several places on the ranch where the horses get spooked for unknown and unseen reasons. Charlie says that he doesn't feel like that he owns the house and the land. He feels like the house and the land own him. He feels sort of like he is possessed by the house, and it ties him to his ancestors. Now, we mentioned that he was a direct descendant to the Reeves. How direct? Toby was his great-great-grandfather. No kidding. The bed that he sleeps in, it came from Georgia by covered wagon over 150 years ago. Wow, how cool is that? So does Charlie see anything? I mean, has he like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Okay. Let's talk about this bed a little more. I hope they change the sheets. Toby died in that bed in 1890 from pneumonia. His grandma, Isabel, was born in that bed in 1901. That's a bed with a lot of history. Yeah, that's cool, though. No record of if she was conceived in that bed. I'm going to assume yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Generations of Reeves have lived in this house. How many generations do you think have lived there? Oh, my Lord. I would say at least 15. No, you're no way off. But it's oh. a lot. Toby's the seventh generation. Oh. Because you got to figure some of them people from generation to generation. It was probably 30 years mm-hmm. and it was built in the 1840s. So. That's true. He's probably sick of looking at that place. He loves it. He loves it. There was a short time when the place was actually kind of abandoned and they were just using it for storage. But when Charlie got the place, he took over. He took it over and he started restoring the place back in the early 1990s to get it back to where it used to be. Oh, so man. it had went through some decline. Oh, I'm sure. He thinks that him improving the place and doing the renovations is why there are so many friendly spirits there. They're just basically showing their approval. So we mentioned the house was moved up the hill from the creek originally. He thinks that where it's at right now is where the family used to bury the slaves in unmarked graves. Hmm. He knows for a fact that they had slaves and they buried them up on the hill somewhere. He thinks, though, it was right here. He believes that his office and his bedroom are right above the old slave cemetery. They were unmarked, so there's no way to know. There's no way to know, yeah. And if they just... Brought the house up there on, rolled it up there, they would have just set it down. There probably wasn't, you know, a proper foundation, like a concrete foundation. Mm-hmm. Just wherever it's, they set it, find a flat spot and set it. Yeah. He says that the uh, property has seen a lot of Union soldiers ride through on horseback during the Civil War. They had the roof caught on fire of the house during an attack from Native Americans. So ghosts. <laughs> They're all over the place. Are probably all over the place. Yeah. But ghosts aren't the only paranormal activity that's here, though. Charlie thinks that there are regular visits here from UFOs. No, what? What? Charlie says that people come from everywhere to sit on his long front porch and sit and watch the sky for hovering lighted objects. He said that these objects will hover sometimes for quite a while, sometimes... um, like 15, 20 minutes. So he just allows people, random yeah. people, to come sit on his porch. And then they does these things just dart off into space. He said many calls have been made to the law enforcement, but he said 
What can they do about it? No, they can't do nothing. Charlie's cousin, Susan Purcell, says that lots of outlaws hung out here in the area, including Sam Bass and his gang. Now, if you've crossed Sam back in the day, you usually ended up shot. Susan said that there are several unmarked graves in the area uh, or on the property, and she thinks a lot of them are not only from Toby, but from this guy, Sam. Mm Mm-hmm. She thinks that's why the horses get so spooked at certain spots. They're probably walking over an unmarked grave. Now, Susan has seen the UFOs, too, and she said they usually hover over a, a certain spot of the farm. wonder so the, why. I don't know. All right, so buckle up for this story. This is, my, this is my little favorite. Susan had a toddler, and she used to take him out for walks in a stroller. So one day, he starts holding his hands out, like he's reaching for something and smiling like he was being amused, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. She looks in the direction that he was looking at, and she sees this little creature. She said it was about four feet tall. It was wearing a long brown cloak and was quite heavy. Let's try to picture that. I'm thinking like Job of the Hut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said it was just a quick glimpse, probably about eight seconds, and then it was gone. She saw it again two weeks later. A few days after that second sighting, her husband, Kim, was out doing some work on the tractor, and he saw the creature. He said that it was looking out from behind a tree. It looked just like she had described it, and he then saw it again a little while later out near the pond on the property. There used to be stories of an old hermit that lived on the property, but... The Purcells don't think that it fit the description of what they actually saw. So they wonder if it's a little person. If so, where does he live? Is it possible that it's some type of an alien considering all of the UFO sightings in the area? They're just not sure. Could be. So. Well, that sounds like a daggone fun place to be. See, that's a cool little place. Like a little mini little skinwalker ranch. <laughs> I know it. All kinds of stuff going on there. So. I love how they've kept it in the family all those many, all those years, many, many years. It's never belonged to anybody else. That's that's great. So that's yeah, awesome. that would be a fun place to to go visit for sure. Especially if they'll let you sit on their porch. That would be cool. All right, guys, let's listen to Lee Bow. Hey, guys, welcome back to Hillbilly Horror Stories. I've got Lee Jacobs on the phone with us from the Lexington Paranormal Research Society. Lee has the unenviable job of being in. Fort Lauderdale, Florida, while we're all freezing to death up here in Kentucky. Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. So while you're struggling down there, maybe you can answer some questions for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This uh, this this 77 degree heat down here, you know, it's uh, it's just terrible. Lee, you guys do a lot of stuff locally, obviously, and it's a lot of stuff that's not just paranormal, even though that's what you guys do. You guys are really big into the history of some of these places, and one of the things you guys are working on is a, a television show. And originally this show, Grant Wilson was kind of part of it. But unfortunately for you guys, but fortunate for him, Ghost Hunters took back off. They did a, a reincarnation of that show and he was part of it. So he has since kind of left from being in front of the camera and stuff like he was in the first uh, episode or so to be able to go back to doing that. But you guys have continued on. You're pitching the show to some places, trying to get it going. Tell me what History Alive 
actually is as a television show. So what we wanted to do is, for years, David Underwood, the original founder of uh, Lexington Paranormal Research Society, Damon Moberly, who's the president, myself, few of the other guys, we really wanted to do a television show, but we wanted to kind of take a different aspect. You know, there were several different carnations, reincarnations, 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 if you will, of what we wanted to do. And finally, we were approached by Darren Zancan with DMZ Productions out of Richmond, Kentucky. He was kind of on the same plane as what we were trying to do. We want to make a paranormal TV show, but we also want it to relate a lot to the history of the places that we're investigating. So, you know, when you go to your Whitehall in Richmond, Kentucky, where Cassius Clay lived, or you go to uh, like the Waveland Estates where episode one was filmed, a lot of these places people don't really know about and don't know the history and with without the right promotion, without, you know, the right people pushing for these places to get noticed, a lot of them are going under, as you well know, because you can't really depend on state and federal funding to keep places like this going. For us to be able to do what we love, being you know, paranormal investigators, as well as incorporating the other part that we love with the history, it was just a godsend, honestly. Tell me a little bit about, I live right here in Lexington, but we're not from here, but we've been here about five and a half years, and I see Waveland all the time. I couldn't tell you the first thing about it, but I know you guys have had some involvement out there. Tell me a little bit about what Waveland is, and tell me a little bit about the paranormal side of it. Waveland was established by the Bryan family way back when, if you will. They are direct descendants of Daniel Boone, and as a matter of fact, one of Daniel Boone's father's chairs is actually in the property there at Waveland. It just kind of, it's one of those places that, you know, when you visit it, man, it just, it captures your heart. There's a lot of stories of turmoil and strife. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go into too much boring detail, of course, because I want people to come and take the historical tours there. But, you know, there, there was a point when the uh, when the son actually gambled all of his money away and lost the property, things like that. But we all kind of met because of Waveland. You know, David Underwood, who, who I, like I said earlier, was the founder of LPRS, he served on the board there. His wife was really good friends with my sister-in-law, introduced us. We became the best of friends, you know. And we all started working together there at Waveland, serving on the board, trying to preserve the property. And we love it so much that actually my wife and I got married there in June of 2017. And then David and his wife, Brenda, got married there in September of 2017. So as you can tell, we've got a lot of love for that property. It's kind of like our second home. And from a paranormal aspect, it's funny you should say that because coming up on the 34th, First, I believe that's this Friday coming up. We're actually doing a public investigation there. And man, that place, it's very unassuming. You go there, you look at the property, you're like, oh, this is, you know, a nice, nice Southern aristocracy type mansion or whatever. But when you get inside, man, and the lights go out and you get get the Frank's box going, get the recorders going, there's a lot that goes on on that property. The craziest place for me. And if any of your listeners have ever done any of you know, the public investigations with us or have heard any of us on various other uh, media sources, the office upstairs is one of the craziest places I've ever been. There is a spirit up there by the name of James that will speak to me through the Frank's box literally every single time I'm there. And if I'm not there and someone else is running a Frank's box session up there, he asks for me. So he, he kind of serves as a, hey, I'm going to bring bring people from the afterlife to you to talk to you. So there's never a dull moment up there, man. And then, you know, when, when you've got a place that has 
slave quarters on the premises. You know, there was some some strife and some things that went on there, and and there's always some leftover energy. We, we've had several encounters with uh, with folks there in the slave quarters as well. Even walking back into the property, man, there there are places on that property that you'll go walk through and it's like someone kicked you dead in the chest. You just get hit with so much energy. So it's, it's always an adventure there. Feel free to ask me questions or, you know, about other things. Cause I've got a million different stories and I'm trying not to ramble on about them. <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for. We're here to ramble on. So if you've got a, tell me, tell me uh, one or two of your best stories from, from Waveland. One that really sticks out to me, man. And this, this isn't just one that sticks out to me from Waveland, but as a paranormal investigator overall, is I was upstairs with uh, with Maddie, who um, if you ever watch History Alive, you'll see that's David Underwood's daughter, and she's kind of my partner in crime. We're the uh, we're the two that you know kick the doors in, go balls to the wall, guns blazing, and we're the ones they send in when nobody else really wants to go into wherever it is. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're known for. Is I, I guess for a lack of a better term, we're the two crazy ones. But she and I were up there running an EVP session during a public investigation. We had the Frank's box going. A voice kept coming through and saying Chris, and I thought I was just hearing things. So I, you know, I'd wait a couple minutes. I'd be like, "Is there anybody you want to speak with?" And it would say Chris again. Well, Chris is our resident historian for LPRS. Um, he actually lived at Waveland for roughly ten years as uh, kind of the groundskeeper and uh, you know taking care of everything there on the property. And so after the fourth time that this thing said Chris, I was finally just like, "Screw it, damn it! Somebody go get Chris. We're going to find out what's going on." Chris actually comes up. I start you know the Frank's box session over again. I'm like, "Hey, whoever was asking for Chris." are you still here? And it said, yes. And I watched all the color just go out of Chris's face. <laughs> and I could tell that he knew whoever that was speaking to him. I'm not going to put his personal life out there or anything like that, but I will say that he said a name and it responded that that's who it was. In fact, it, just the amount of emotion that overtook that room and a conversation between a man and the Frank's box that went on and it turned out that it was one of Chris's best friends who had passed away several years ago. That was the last place that that man knew Chris lived. So our feeling is that he was coming back there. He knew Chris was supposed to be there, and he was coming back to talk to him. Let me ask you this, because you, you've made mention a few times to the Frank's box. Now, is that a, I'm, I'm assuming it's some type of a spirit box, but is that some type of a, a specific spirit box? Um, it's just your normal Espen man. You know, there, there's all the... SB sevens through five thousand now for all I know, but I like to stick to the old tried and true SB seven. You know, we've gotten some of the more uh, upscale digital, like the I think it's the SB eleven, and I'm I'm just not a fan, honestly, man. So it's the SB seven that I'm talking about. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure because I would I'm not a hundred percent up to par. When it comes to the equipment being used and, and, and things like that, so anytime I hear something new, I try to use that to educate myself. Definitely, man. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm actually going to use that. It's a good segue for me, if you don't mind. I want to shout out our tech guy, man, Jamie Stidham. Jamie, Jamie and I have been friends for going on about 10 years. He used to work for me long, long ago. He knew nothing about paranormal investigation, nothing about tech until about two years ago. And we were getting ready to shoot episode one of History Alive. And he was like, man, I don't have anything to do tonight. Do y'all need help with anything? And at that point, I was running all the tech. I said, yeah, man, while I'm getting you know ready for interviews and I'm doing all this stuff, if you, you know how to set up all the computers, if you just go do that for me, that'd be great. And he's been stuck with us ever since. 
Major shout out to him. We could not do anything that we do if it wasn't for him. He has built some incredible things. He built our SLS cameras for us. We now have two. We have one that's stationary and one that's mobile. He also uh, built a Tesla coil for us to, you know, kind of pump that uh, that electromagnetic field energy into the air. I'm hoping things can manifest. He's he's always got his pulse on, on the hand of, you know, on the wrist of everything that's going on in the paranormal world trying to, instead of us going out and buying our equipment from, you know, whatever online store, he's building it from scratch. So like I said, without him, man, we wouldn't be able to do anything that we do. That's really cool. What about as far as I know you guys do some teaching? As a matter of fact, there was an article that was posted at the time we're recording this. There was an article that I, that I saw online that was posted just like four hours ago from London, Kentucky, where it looks like some of you guys were doing some paranormal teaching at the Laurel County Library. Yeah, man, and that kind of goes into us tying together the, the history and the paranormal investigation thing and kind of rolling it up into one big, you know, nice package, a nice bow on it. It's something we're very passionate about, man, is getting out and doing the teaching and working with the public. I think that that was now either our third or fourth actual library teaching session. I know I, the last one we did prior to the Laurel County uh, Public Library, we did one down in Carlisle, and that was awesome. You know, we got to go in, and we, what we do is we go in, we kind of give the uh, the play-by-play of how we conduct an investigation. We introduce all the equipment, you know, let the public kind of check that out. We tell some stories, show some clips, definitely unveil some evidence for everyone. And that's always the most fun part because I know you've done a million of these things like this. And, uh, you know, when, whenever you unveil evidence, people that don't do this all the time are absolutely thrilled with that. And it's awesome to see, you know, the look on their faces when they're like, you know, holy shit, this might actually be real instead of the typical skeptic behavior. So it's, yeah, we're very passionate about going into libraries, schools. I know we've, we've got a gig coming up pretty soon with Jessamine County to do a presentation at one of their schools. You know, it's not necessarily pigeonholed into just libraries. We we do like Jamie actually went and did a uh, Rotary Club presentation recently too. So anywhere we can get in and try to educate the public and kind of take away that bad stigma um, that some people place on the paranormal investigation community, that's kind of what we're setting out to do. Yeah, I think think we're going to get you guys out to one of our shows and and kind of do something like that one time when we get close enough. Man, that would be awesome. I mean, we would definitely be willing to do that. Awesome. So, yeah, I think that's something people would like to be able to see is is I think they, they come to our shows and they see people tell stories and stuff like that, but they don't typically get the demonstration part of it. I know we had uh, some paranormal investigators actually come out to a show we did in Nashville and you know, they were talking about some of the investigating they've done and, and some of the things that have happened, but they didn't really get into the X's and O's, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's a major part of what we do. You know, we, we always, without fail, whether it be a public investigation or it be one of the teaching set seminars that we do, or even a home investigation for that matter, inevitably someone will say, how do I get started doing this? That's what we like to use those sessions for. But, you know, the one piece of advice that we try to always give everybody, and it's, it's a phrase that David coined long ago, is don't knock on a door if you're not prepared for what might come through it. You know, we always get asked about Ouija boards or seances or all that stuff. We don't we don't do any of that. I don't I want no part of the darkness. I have I have been in the darkness. I have dealt with that more times than I would like to admit doing investigations. I, my only advice to everyone, and it's whether it's your listeners or whether it's you know us doing a seminar, 
is just be careful and be aware of what you're doing. What do you think is your biggest fear when it comes to something like a Ouija board? I, I know people who swear by Ouija boards. Uh, they, they've got a bad rap. They, uh, if, you're, if you know how to use them, it can be used strictly for good. But obviously, you feel like that there's a little more to it than that. What is your What is your reasoning behind, or what would your response be to someone that says, hey, I see no problem with Ouija boards. I use it all the time when I'm practicing my craft or whatever I'm doing. Well, first of all, to each their own. I, I'm not I'm not here to judge anybody by any means. I, I won't judge any other investigators or their techniques. That's not what I'm here to do. But for me, as far as that goes, is I've heard too many horror stories. I have, you know, pardon the pun on that, obviously, with the, uh, with the title of your show. Um, <laughs> I've heard too many horror stories and I've witnessed too many things that we've had to, for lack of a better term, go in and clean up from people using Ouija boards who weren't quote unquote trained or they didn't know how to practice the craft, if you will. So, I mean, I, I know people, I'm, I'm personally friends with some pretty big name investigators that I know use them on occasion, but I'm just, I, I want no part of it personally for, like I said, for if nothing else from the messes that I've had to go in and help clean up from them being used. How long has LPRS been together? Oh man, since uh, I want to say, God, we're going 2004-ish. I didn't join until roughly 2014 and they were going long before I came along and we've just, it, it's just kind of evolved, man. It started out, you know, David had some experiences and, uh, wanted to kind of investigate a little more. So he and Damon, uh, Damon's wife, Kristen, who I know you've met both of them, mm-hmm. um, at one of your events and David's daughter, Maddie, Chris, a couple other people got together, kind of joined forces, if you will, started doing some investigating there at, uh, there at Waveland. And that was, you know, back in the early two thousands. And of course me, uh, you know, obviously you and I've talked about what I do for a living. And, uh, of course I come along in 2014 and start putting the lease spin on it, if you will. And we, we've grown so much that we've tried to turn it into more of a, more of a business entity now. And I, I always use the term, we used to be a bunch of friends that were out, you know, chasing things in the dark. And now we've, we've become a full blown force. So it's, it's been a big evolution for us and we could not be happier with the way things are headed. We're very blessed to, to have our name getting out there and, and folks like you being interested in us and kind of getting our mission out there, especially when it comes to us trying to preserve these historical properties that we work with, such as Waveland and Whitehall and, you know, the old Crown Point Jail in Crown Point, Indiana, which that's something we definitely need to talk about before we, uh, we go off tonight too. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we actually, at one point in time, uh, I got a buddy, Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. He lives up in Fort Wayne and he has a complete fascination with that place. He's, he's been there and, and, uh, we at one point were trying to set up a show in that vicinity just to be able to make a tour of, of Crown Point part of it. Of course, I would love to hear some of your stories from there. Well, I will tell you that his, his fascination with that place is a uh, very well-founded man out of the, the hundreds of investigations that I've done. That place just, it sticks with you, man. When you think about that one time there were 500 people in that jail at, at once, it's, it's insane, man. We had some of the most profound experiences that we've had as a group uh, being in there. And then there are many things we can't explain. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll get you, uh, I'll get you set up with the right people. So you'll be able to go up there and record. I've, I've got that phone number for you, <laughs> Perfect. but we, uh, 
that, you know, there's, there's so many people from John Dillinger who they, everybody uses John Dillinger as the focal point for crown point. And he is as far as notoriety goes, but on the paranormal scale of crown point, he's not even a blip. You know, there was Ann Cunningham who was a woman that murdered her entire family with the exception of one daughter, and the only reason she didn't murder that daughter is because she told her she didn't love her. There was the Dune Slayer. There was a man named Fur Sammons who kind of ran in that mob circle, too, who was a convicted rapist. There's actually an episode of History Alive based on Crown Point that I know you've seen some of the stuff we've been previewing for that Mm -hmm. that's going to air. It'll air on Facebook on February 2nd at 9 p.m., and you'll get to see part of my run-in with Fur Sammons if... If they could actually show it, because I know I'm going to have to get uh, beeped out a lot <laughs> on that one, which, you know, like, like you and I have talked about before, if anybody watches the show, they know that I'm notorious for not biting my tongue and I just say whatever comes to my mind. But, you know, we, we dealt with him in there and, and, you know, to deal with deepest who were afraid to show it, man, he he came straight through talking to us. No problem. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Anne, she, we had a lot of dealings with her and her cell. That's a pivotal moment of that episode as well. So, yeah, I, I cannot express enough or how much people need to get up to Crown Point if they get a chance to go on a public investigation or whatever it may be, man. Or just go on a tour of the jail and you can feel it when you walk in. We even had experiences the first night that we filmed there. We actually slept in the sheriff's house, which is attached to the jail. And we had experiences in the house as well. And as crazy as it's going to sound is it was a cat and we just call it ghost cat. Brian, who is uh, another one of our now lead investigators was working tech with Jamie, but Jamie had gone off to do something else. Brian heard a cat meowing and walking around his feet while he was at the tech table, but there was nothing there. We get into the house and we're all bedding down at, you know, like four or five o'clock in the morning. Finally, finally, I had just heard enough. I kept hearing little, little feet on the floor and a bell ring. And finally, I just set up. And I was like, please tell me that somebody else is hearing this fucking cat. <laughs> Maddie was like, thank God I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, she just said, hey, come over here and, and, and crawl in bed with me, little guy to the cat. And then we didn't hear it the rest of the night. So it's not like it's one thing. It's multiple things. It's all areas of that jail. You can just feel the oppressive nature of that building the minute you cross that threshold from the sheriff's house into the jail itself. And we we got to show up in Chicago in June, so I may have to take the a little bit longer way home and go straight through there. Oh, most definitely, man. And like I said, just you know, get in touch with me, and I'll get you in touch with the right people up there, and you can definitely stop by, and I'm sure they'll appreciate it too. So, what's next? For History Alive, I know you guys have been trying for a while to get it on a, a bigger network. You're just kind of doing your own thing with it right now, but is there any hope out there for getting it on a bigger network? I think there's a lot of hope, man. And The reason being is we're, we're doing it differently. Um, I think that we're capturing two audiences, if you will. Like I said, the we'll have the historical audience, and then we'll have the paranormal audience, and we want to meld those two audiences together with the concept that we're putting out there. And as I mentioned, Darren Zancan, who is our, our director producer for dmz productions i know he's out there hitting the pavement and uh, and getting some some talks with people so that's a positive and and i look for us to to get picked up but as far as for right now you know we're kind of on hiatus we've got uh four episodes in the can just kind of waiting to see what happens from there we're uh, like i said we're going to air the crown point episode on february 2nd on facebook we also have an episode that is uh, currently being edited from uh, Perryville Battlefield and some of the surrounding homes there. 
and that was a that was an intense place to be as well. So I mean, I, I feel like we're hitting some spots that uh, that not a lot of people hit, and that you, you know, kind of hitting it from a different aspect. So yeah, to answer your question, sorry I kind of rambled on there. Yeah, I look I look for next steps as us to get picked up, and then and, you know, hopefully get signed on with somebody relatively soon. That would be awesome to see happen. I know you guys have been hitting it hard, and there's not a lot going on paranormal uh, society-wise in the Lexington area. You guys are pretty much it. I mean, I know there's some other stuff going on, but you, you guys are the big name. Yeah, we appreciate that, man. Like I said, we've uh, we've busted our asses to get to the point that we are right now, and a lot of that has been from people like yourself having one or all of us on a show, or you know, some of the local media that's that's been getting us out there too. Really interested in what we do, and it's been really great man that there's the out outpouring of support from from not only kentucky but you know the surrounding areas i mean we, we've got followers from europe people that are chiming in you know telling us what they like and, and giving us their opinion on things and we're all about the uh you know constructive criticism so that's that's one of the things that's really helped us grow and uh and doing these public investigations especially when people find out that you know you're tying yourself into the property we, we make no money off uh you know there's there may be a $20 fee or a $25 fee or whatever it may be to do a public investigation. When we LPRS doesn't see a dime of that. That all goes back into the preservation of, the, of these properties that we're leading these investigations for. So I, I want everybody that wasn't aware of that to definitely be aware of that. We're, we're not making a dime off this. It's just to preserve these historical sites. What I like about what you guys do with History Alive is it's similar to what we do on this show. I've said more times than not that 75% of each week that when we tell a story, 75% of it is the history of the location. And, you know, the other 25% is actually paranormal related. And you guys are kind of in that same boat where you do cover a lot of the history. And uh, I think it's important to cover the history. Otherwise, you really can't understand why the paranormal activity is there. And that's what we try to always convey. And I, I couldn't agree more, man. It, it I, again, I'm not one to name names. I'm never going to disrespect another group or disrespect another show. But I, it irks me. It crawls all over me. Some of these shows that go in, you get a 15 second history bite, and then it's all oh shit, it's a demon, and all you know, all that nonsense that we see constantly. But you you never get the explanation of why. Like, why would you think that this place is evil? Or why would you think that that's an evil entity coming through? Whatever it may be. Because they're not giving you the history, like you said. I couldn't begin to guess what show you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, everybody who listens to this show knows I'm not a big fan of one in particular investigator just because of the disrespect shown, but neither here nor there. I'm glad you brought up the constructive criticism because that's what I've slated the next 30 minutes of the show for. I'm just playing. I don't have any good... I, I think you guys are great. I love what you do with how your approach is. You do do it different. And, and I'm hoping History Alive gets picked up by somebody because it is different than anything else out there. Why don't you take a few minutes and tell everybody how they can keep up with what uh, LPRS is doing and how they can watch History Alive. Most definitely, man. Thank you. So as far as watching History Alive, you can uh, check out the History Alive Facebook page. Go on and like that. The Actually, the first episode, the pilot episode of the show is on there. We left that on there. I mean, you'll get a lot of uh, sneak peeks, a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, um, a lot of footage of me cussing when I shouldn't be, and other things that I would do to make an ass out of myself. So that's always enjoyable. 
You know, also you can catch, you know, History of Life TV on Instagram. You know, you can follow Lexington Paranormal Research Society on Facebook. Um, you can follow us at Lex Paranormal on Instagram. You can, you can follow me. You know, I'm always posting stuff from the show. If you go on to Instagram, my, my handle on there is Mr. Lebo Jake. So it's M-R-L-E-E-B-O-J-A-K-E-S. And also Lebo Jake's on Facebook. So, you know, and, and follow any of our guys, uh, you, know, you got Jamie Stidham, you got David Underwood, Damon Moberly, Maddie Underwood, Brian McLean, Tony Shear, Chris Probst. Those are the folks that you're going to see a lot of on the show and, uh, and, and going out into the public. And like we talked about doing the, doing the things with the libraries and the schools and, and all of that, as well as uh, public and private investigations. Awesome, Brother Lee. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on. I know you could probably be out at the beach or something right now, but instead you decide to sit in the hotel room and talk to us, and we appreciate it. Hey, it's been a pleasure, man. I've enjoyed every minute of it. All right, man. Well, enjoy yourself out there. I know you're struggling, uh, but, uh, you know, go go pet some pelicans or something. <laughs> Will do. Maybe I'll catch some fish this week. <laughs> there you go. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Lebo is so much fun because remember when we went to Waveland, he actually had a funeral or something from one of his friends that he was attending. Yeah. So he didn't get there right until we were getting ready to leave. Yes, but, uh-huh, I remember that. Very, a, very nice he's guy. He's got a great personality. Mm-hmm. Everybody there was so nice. They so were very, I, very nice. We wish them guys nothing but success. Absolutely. It places beautiful too. So yeah, absolutely. Follow them on uh, social media, especially follow them on Facebook. It's Lexington Paranormal Research Society. Do it. Do it. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Love y'all.